Welcome to the SMC 2021 podcast. What if God wanted to do something new in your life? This is your fresh start. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Digital Minimalist. My name is Jake Welchens. I am the campus director of Arizona Stumo. So my wife and I live in the best city in the world, Tucson, Arizona. You love Mexican food. You love mountains. You love adventure. There's no better place than Tucson, Arizona. Come visit us, baby. We work with some amazing staff and students on a day-in, day-out basis, and I feel like we're living the dream. We have three kids, Conrad, Roxy, and Edie, and today we're talking about phones. Do you remember what your first cell phone was like? What was your favorite feature? Maybe you had an iPhone or a flip phone. Um, Did your parents punish you by buying you an Android you know, having to deal with the fate of sending green text messages, being kind of a social pariah in middle school and high school. I remember getting my first cell phone, and to be honest, it was a mystery to me. I pulled it out of the packaging in a way that, you know, resembled someone from Kansas City picking up a true Texas beef rib, which, by the way, is the best barbecue available. You stare at it in amazement for a long time, wondering to yourself, is this thing real? (laughs) What do I do with it? Do I eat this? For me, it was a little flip Motorola about the fourth the size of today's phones, and it had some amazing features in it. I mean, totally incredible features. Uh, Number one, it had a color screen, had a directional pad, a slot for extra memory, which was pretty cool. I quickly memorized T9 texting, an amazing method where I could compose text with just one hand, not looking at the phone, uh, which I terribly miss to this day. And get this, I could send about 100 texts a month for free. We had other amazing features too. Uh, One day I downloaded a ringtone that was supersonic. So it was a super high pitch. Uh, Old people couldn't hear it. So I could get notifications in the middle of a class and no one knew I was getting notifications outside of a faint ringing in the ear except me and my close group of friends. We all had the same ringtone. It was amazing. We had an amazing game, Snake. Get this. You guys may be familiar with this. I'm not really sure. There was a virtual snake, a couple of black pixels that moved across the screen and got larger and larger until eventually it ate itself. (laughs) It was a gruesome fate, no doubt. Uh, But my friends and I, we were in awe. The phone evolved over time. You went from a nameless Nokia to a Razor, RZR to be specific, to the sidekick, you know, that flipped open. But everything changed in 2007. Here's a little backstory. For those of you who don't know, Steve Jobs was the founder of Apple. He was fired from the company and then came back to transform it into the most valuable company in history. What was the turning point in that success? Well, in 2007, Steve Jobs gave his most iconic Apple presentation. Check this out. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. And Apple has been, well, first of all, one's very fortunate if you get to work on just one of these in your career. Apple's been very fortunate. It's been able to introduce a few of these into the world. 1984, we introduced the Macintosh. It didn't just change Apple, it changed the whole computer industry. In 2001, we introduced the first iPod. 
And it didn't just, it didn't just change the way we all listen to music. It changed the entire music industry. Well, today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device, and we are calling it iPhone. Today, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. In terms of technology, we live in an unbelievably tumultuous time. I remember my friends gathering around our first iPhone. My friend Zach had just gotten one, and we couldn't figure it out. First off, it only had one button. I mean, what could you possibly do with that? A touchscreen seemed complicated. I share this with you to show how short-sighted we were. We had no idea that the iPhone was going to live up to Steve Jobs' expectations and change everything. The past 13 years have been a quantum leap in technology. Maybe more techno technological development has occurred in the past 30 years than the 2000 that came before that. That's not even an exaggeration. It's crazy times. And this has created some problems, but also some benefits. In terms of the problems this has created for humanity, uh, Vivek Wadwa, a Stanford professor, says it best when he says, the problem is that the human mind itself can't keep pace with the advances that computers are enabling. Great quote there. We're having trouble keeping up with our technology as it's evolving at a rapid pace. What are some of the problems you see advancing technology creating when we can't keep up with it? My guess is quite a few. That's a big problem, and this is affecting your generation more than any other generation on the planet right now. Do you know what generation you all are? If you were born past 1995, which some of you listening to this weren't, but most of you are, you're in Gen Z. And here's the deal about Gen Z. It's an amazing generation. Listen to some of the perks of being Gen Z. If you're Gen Z, there's a good chance you're more connected. I mean, think about Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all the different apps you guys have to stay connected. My son's favorite, Marco Polo. <laughs> some of you may use that. Some of you may not. Um, you're more informed. You guys know news. You guys know more about life. You can know more about politics and all these different things. It's incredible. You're more progressive. You push for change and you long to be part of something bigger that matters, which is so cool. You're empowered. You have more resources at your hands than any generation before you. I mean, I make a podcast and I, and I think about how hard it would have been to make a podcast 10 years ago. I mean, the technology has made it so easy. Everyone should have a podcast. But just think about the resources you have at your hands that people have never had in the history of the world. 
you're more empathetic. You're able to see yourself in other shoes more than other generations, and you're more sensitive to those needs that other people have. I think that's awesome. And to top all that off, which is an incredible list, you're more entrepreneurial as well. More Gen Z students want to own and create businesses than any other generation before them by far. You guys don't want to work for people. You guys want to create, and I love that about you guys. So think about this for a second. Which of the strengths of Gen Z do you most resonate with? Gen Z is an amazing generation. And I'm so excited about your potential as a generation. But unfortunately, with so many strengths, there are some huge areas of concern. If you're Gen Z with all the strengths above, you're also burdened with some areas of concern. If you're Gen Z, then it's also likely that you're more depressed. 15% major or 15% of Gen Z are majorly depressed and suicide is up by 34%. That's a crazy percentage. It's more likely that you're more anxious. 90% of Gen Z students say they're stressed out. And I see this all the time in the next generation as I work with college students and young leaders. Over the past five years, we've seen a cataclysmic change in stress. Most Gen Z describe mental health as a huge issue, and I totally get it. It makes total sense. Some of you guys have struggles socially. I get that. Many of you are competent socially. Some of you guys need to grow in that area a lot. I need to grow in that area. Social skills have seen a sharp decline as HR person after HR person in corporate companies is reporting high drive but low social awareness in Gen Z. Oh, one of my favorite examples was during a training recently, uh, one of the guys in the training asked the, the HR executive, when is spring break? And I know none of you guys would ask that. You guys are great leaders. But just to make the point that social skills need to grow in this next generation. Maybe you've felt that before. And on top of all of that, you're feeling more isolated. You're always together, but alone. That's the struggle that you guys are facing these days. That's what Gen Z is describing themselves as always connected to other people, but feeling alone. And I totally get that feeling. Gen Z is describing themselves as the loneliest generation. Maybe some or many of you have struggled with these issues. I know I have, and they're, they're nothing to be ashamed of. If we're going to rise to be leaders, we have to be aware of these things and how they affect us so we can deal with them and grow past them. But we have to know how. Which of these weaknesses of Gen Z do you most identify with? My guess is there's probably one or two that you could say, yeah, I actually struggle with these. Maybe the other ones you don't, but these one or two, yeah, they're real struggles. I think the biggest struggle with Gen Z and with myself begins with the device in our pockets. It follows us everywhere. Our phones. Now, here's my disclaimer up front. I think phones are absolutely amazing. No one disputes that. And frankly, no one wants to go back to a time when we didn't have them. If you love your phone and spend a lot of time on it, I totally understand. The benefits of a phone are incredible. But we have to learn to put it in its proper place. Two years ago, I found myself struggling in a major way with my phone. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't be away from it. It was my constant companion and my major source of joy. And that was fine until it wasn't. There was always a trade-off. I was getting my high from my phone, but I wasn't sleeping well. I was having anxiety. I wasn't able to be away from it. I was getting FOMO. I was stressed. I was anxious. And maybe you felt some of these things as well. But today, I'm experiencing productivity and fulfillment I didn't know was possible. But here's the deal. 
things had to change in my relationship with my phone. And that's what it is, right? It's it's really a relationship. It's almost like a person that you carry around with you everywhere. If you'll join me in this journey, I'd like to help you begin to take steps to overcome the challenges that this day and age is presenting us, starting with our phones. When I'm trying to figure out the best way to deal with any new technology, where do I go? Blogs, reviews, or is there any process at all, or do I just let it happen? I've done all those things before, but where do you go? Do you go to blogs, reviews, some kind of process you have? If we're going to learn to get the most out of our phones, we have to have some kind of standard. My favorite place to go, the book of Ecclesiastes in our Bibles. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you have heard of this book. Some of you have no idea what this book is. Let me dispel something real quick. Some of you are thinking, Jake, the Bible is old. It has nothing to do with technology. And here's the deal. You would be right. The book of Ecclesiastes is over 2,000 years old. Technology then, literally, they had the wheel. That was about it. (laughs) But let me explain. The book of Ecclesiastes is the best book in the Bible for putting life in perspective. It was written by a man named Solomon, who the Bible describes as the wisest person to ever live. And I mean ever, ever. And man, is he. Now, how did he become so wise? Well, let me tell you. Here's what you got to know about Ecclesiastes and what you need to know about Solomon is that Solomon was a king and he had a lot of experience. Um, On top of that, he literally had unlimited resources. He was one of the wealthiest kings to ever live. He was the king of Israel. And so when you have that many resources, you have that much time, what do you do with your life? Well, some people just spend it. Some people, you know, just, you know, with no direction, start going for whatever will give them the next hit. Well, Solomon doesn't do that. In fact, he goes on a type of social experiment, and I think it's fascinating. He's going to try everything and go big to see what brings value to life. Like, can you imagine doing a social experiment? Like you had unlimited resources, so you decide you're going to try everything and see what actually brings value to life. And here, here's some of the things he actually tries. Um, he goes big on entertainment. I mean, the dude's going to party. I'm talking about ragers every night for months and months and months. I mean, think legitimately unlimited alcohol, unlimited food. I mean, the best food you've ever had, unlimited entertainment at these parties for months and months and months on end. I mean, I know you guys have been to some amazing parties, but this is something that is hard to put on a scale. This actually happened. He threw parties for months and they were the best parties you could imagine. He also tried his hand at wisdom. He reads and learns far and wide. He studies all subjects, philosophy, science, gardening, architecture, and much more. He becomes the best in all these areas and leads his country to a level of prosperity you can't imagine. I mean, he does all kinds of things. He, he builds forests in a desert culture or a desert climate. I mean, imagine that. He had to big giant ravines to fill with water so he could feed his forest. Uh, That was just one of the projects that he has, and he becomes extremely wise. He also goes all in on sex, right? This guy has unlimited sex. 700 wives, 300 concubines, regardless of, of whether that's right or wrong, He has every type of sexual desire and fantasy met over 
and over and over and over again. And on top of that, he just throws in something called folly just for kicks. And what is folly? Folly is literally losing your mind. He he tries to just stop caring. He tries to just veg out and lose his mind and go nuts. He does it for a long time. And he comes to some really interesting conclusions as he goes all in on these different things to try to figure out what brings value to life. And this is his conclusion. I think it's super interesting in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he says. His name, by the way, is the teacher. That's what he calls himself. Interesting. Not the word I would use, but it's what he uses. So listen to this. This is his conclusion right here. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You might say, wow, that that guy is a major downer. Clearly he had issue. But why is Solomon writing this book? I think that's really important to understand if you're going to get why he called those things meaningless. He's writing this book because he wants to help you. He wants to help you live the best, most satisfying life you can possibly imagine. Now, what do I mean by that? Solomon had unbelievable resources. He had power. He had everything you need to have every experience possible. He literally tried it all to see if any of it brought value. Over the majority of his life, he went on social experiment after social experiment and comes to the conclusion that it all pales in comparison to a few simple things which actually add value to life. This was not something other people could replicate for thousands of years. Like no one could go on the social experiment that Solomon had. He had too much money. He had too much free time. He had too much power. He's one of the only people in the history of the world who could do something like this. But what about us today? Here's what's crazy. You can now do everything that Solomon could do back then on your phone. I mean, think about it for a second. Entertainment, unlimited, social interaction. I mean, instant with anybody you can imagine. Sex, you can you can go view any sexual experience you want with a click of a button with pornography or any different type of thing like that. I mean, literally, it's all there. Wisdom, you have more access to knowledge than anyone else in the history of the world today. I mean, like literally, you do in your pocket. You can sort through that info instantly, which is crazy. Like you would need a library to do that back then and thousands of libraries, but you have it on your phone and you can do it instantly. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the same experiment Solomon did and come to the same conclusions he came to when it's too late. You see, Solomon came to that conclusion late in his life when it was too late to change, too late to do something different. And he wants to save you that trouble and help you live the most fulfilling life now. Here's what I love about Solomon. He cuts to the chase in this book, Ecclesiastes, and he saves us time and gives us three things to focus on to live a fulfilling and satisfying life. And with that in mind, Solomon gives us his top three rules for a meaningful life. Here's what he comes to. These are his conclusions. Number one rule for a meaningful life by Solomon, engage the present. This is what he says, Ecclesiastes 3.22. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. Here's the big idea he's trying to get across there. He wants you to live in the now. 
enjoy right now. Don't look to the future too much. Man, I struggle with this so much. I, I'm someone who has a major future focus. I, I love achievement. And, and to be totally frank with you guys listening to this, it's, it's never enough. The other day I was listening to a leader who I respect so much and his number one piece of advice, and I think this is so true, this is a guy who's achieved a ton, more than most of us ever will, and this is what he said he wishes he would have done during his 20s and 30s. Enjoy the ride. In other words, enjoy life as it comes. Don't be looking to the next thing always and always moving to the next thing, but stop and enjoy the ride. I've really started to try to celebrate the wins in our life. This is what Solomon's trying to get across to us is that we have to engage the present. Now, what does this mean for you guys? Here's the question I would ask you. Do you enjoy the present? Or do you dwell on the past and the mistakes you've made? Or maybe even obsess about the future and the things that you want to do that you haven't been able to? That's not how God intended us to live in the now. He wants us to engage the present. That's Solomon's first rule for a meaningful life. Solomon's second rule for a meaningful life is to live simply. It's that simple. Live live simply. And I, I love this verse. This is one of my life mottos right here. Ecclesiastes 4.6. He says this, but better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. Now, what does this mean practically? I mean, this was written a long time ago. What he's saying is it's, it's better to have less, but enjoy life and have peace. And a way to look at this is, you know, what would it cost you to get, you know, a million followers on Instagram, two million, you know, a hundred million, whatever it is on Twitter, whatever, whatever you use. That's a really great thing to be an influencer. But sometimes too much can lead us to toil and a chasing after a win. And it doesn't have the return we hoped it would. What Solomon's trying to say is that it's better to have less with peace than more with trials and suffering. Life comes with trade-offs, and having too much can sometimes lead to unhealthy trade-offs. We trade too much in hopes of getting more and more. And what Solomon wants us to see is that we should live simply. The best life is one that's lived simply in thankfulness for what we do have, big or small. I think about my son Conrad. One day, you know, in Arizona, it's super hot. And uh, one day it was like 110 degrees and we just needed to get out of the house. And so what you do is you just go drive around. And so I had two of my three kids and uh, we went to God's gift to earth, uh, in and out and I got everyone milkshakes. And so Conrad loves milkshakes. I mean, the dude just can't get enough of milkshakes. And so we get to this park and we find some shade you know, by God's grace, and we get out, and he's running around. I hand him his milkshake. Well, what I didn't realize is that he pounded his milkshake in literally 30 seconds. I mean, it's, you know, for a, a four-year-old, that's that's quite a bit. And he starts running around, and he looks at me, and he goes, Dad, I feel awful. <laughs> and I can relate. I mean, we've all drank a milkshake too fast or had too much. And, and my big point here is that, you know, sometimes too much is not a good thing. Like, it, it doesn't, go well for us. It doesn't lead to a better life. And as Conrad was finding out on a small scale, we'll find out on a much bigger scale later on. You can have anything on your phone today. You can have any kind of goal that you're aiming for. You can do anything. But my question for you is, is it good for you? Having less while living in peace is so much better.
And here it is. Here's Solomon's third rule for a fulfilling and joy and joyful life and joyful. That's not even a word, but we just created it here on this podcast. Solomon's third rule for an awesome life is to enjoy God. Here's what he says. Ecclesiastes 12, one, I love this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. What's Solomon trying to get across there? He's saying, enjoy God when you're young. God wants you to have a deep, refreshing relationship with you right now, right as you're young. Whether you're 18, 19, 20, a little bit older, God wants to have a relationship with you now while you're young. I hear so many college students and young adults say to me, I'm gonna, I really want to have a deep relationship with God, but I'm, I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to get to it after college. Here's what I'll say to that. God longs to have a relationship with you right now, a deep, fulfilling one. Doesn't that sound amazing to have a relationship with the creator of the universe? And he wants you to now in your best years where you have your most energy, where you can impact the most change. That investment right now will make your later years better and leave an internal impact. <laughs> Another example about my son is, you know, we get these magazines uh, for the holidays. They got the Amazon wishlist magazine. And, uh, you know, he can stare at these things for days. I mean, he will get one of these magazines. He'll go sit on the couch. And literally there's been one time where he looked at this magazine for two hours straight. He's four years old. So he just soaks it in. What's crazy to me though, is that while he's doing this, he's surrounded by amazing toys. He's looking at these toys on the magazine, but he's surrounded by amazing toys. And he could go play with these awesome things that he has, but instead he gets caught up in looking at these new things, these other things, these things that are going to bring him more fulfillment, he thinks, just on a page. He doesn't even have them. The draw of the magazine is too much, even though he's surrounded with real amazing toys and experiences. And, and here's the deal. That story can be the same in our relationship with God. I think C.S. Lewis nails it. C.S. Lewis, a great thinker, philosopher, one of the best of the 20th century, said this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Here's what that means. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son to repair a broken relationship that you had with him by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for you to repair the relationship that was broken between you. That's how much he loves you. And you can have an unreal relationship with God if we're willing and if we'll see the value that ha- that that is offering us, which is infinite. But there are so many small things right now as we're young that are pulling our attention away from that. Solomon's main rule, enjoy God while you're young. That will have a huge impact on your life. So that's, that's Solomon's biggest tips to live a meaningful life. It, but I think our biggest obstacle these days to living a meaningful life is being able to handle our phones well in an age where they can be so addictive. I want to challenge you guys to become something today. Maybe you've heard of this before, but I want to challenge you 
to become a digital minimalist. Now, where do I get that term? What does that mean? Well, I got that term from an amazing book. It's called Digital Minimalism, and it's by Cal Newport. Here's what you got to know about Cal Newport. Cal Newport is a professor of computer science at Georgetown University. He's a big deal. But he is what you would call a digital minimalist. In fact, he writes a book on digital minimalism. And this is what he says. Check out this quote. He says, of the different philosophies I studied, however, there was one in particular that stood out as a superior answer for those looking to thrive in our current moment of technological overload. I call it digital minimalism, and it applies the belief that less can be more to our relationship with digital tools. This idea is not new. Long before Henry David Thoreau exclaimed, simplicity, 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 Marcus Aurelius asked, you see how few things you have to do to live a satisfying and reverent life. Digital minimalism simply adapts this classical insight to the role of technology in our modern lives. The impact of this simple adaptation, however, can be profound. In this book, you'll encounter many examples of digital minimalists who experienced massively positive changes by ruthlessly reducing their time spent online to focus on a small number of high-value activities. Because digital minimalists spend so much less time connected than their peers, it's easy to think that their lifestyle is extreme. But the minimalists would argue that this perception is backwards. What's extreme is how much time everyone else spends staring at their screens. The key to thriving in our high-tech world, they've learned, is to spend much less time using technology. Here's a way to wrap up what Cal's saying here about digital minimalism. Digital minimalism just means less is more when it comes to technology. Less is more. He wants you to use technology in your life as a tool. And if it doesn't serve you, he says you should get rid of it. It's that simple. So today, I want to take some of the tips and tricks I've used to live a meaningful life. Uh, Tricks to make my phone less addictive. And I want to help you apply these same things to your life so you can live an extremely meaningful life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through very quickly four tools that will help you take your life back from your phone. Three practices that will help you make this a lifestyle. And then I want to leave you with two challenges that can really impact your life when it comes to your relationship with your phone. But we'll start with the four tools that will help you take your life back from your phone. Before I get into this, I just want to say real quick that um, you can find more info on digital minimalism on my podcast. It's called Read Out. You guys can find it on any uh, platform that you listen to podcasts. And I detail what Cal says is a meaningful life in digital minimalism, but we're going to fly through this real quick to give you the first steps you need to take uh, to take your life back from your phone. So stick with me. Four tools to help you take your life back from your phone. Number one, try a digital fast. Now, what is a digital fast? You guys have heard of fasting before. Usually it's considered in the context of food or drink or other things like that. Um, but basically what it is, is is you set an amount of time and you say, for this amount of time, I'm going to step back from technology. That can mean uh, taking a break from some social media service or uh, taking a break of, of how much time you use your phone each day. What I would say is try a digital fast uh, to kick off some new habits with your phone. You can start small. Uh, I started with Facebook. That's the first thing I started doing fast. And I said, I'm going to spend 30 days away from Facebook. That was my first digital fast. And it was great. Uh, Some tips to do something like this. Um, Delete your account 
and or log out of your account and make sure the autofill is not available. It's, you know, logging out does nothing if the autofill is one, puts you one button away. Um, you can send a message to whatever social media you're trying to take a fast from, but this can have a big impact on uh, your social media. Uh, during this time, you don't just fast from it, but you evaluate how this extra time or what this is giving you is going. Is it adding value to your life? I challenge you to start 2021 in this way and think through uh, what's something I could digitally fast from. I think it would change your life. The second tool to, to help you take your life back from your phone is downtime. Now, there's an equivalent of this on Android. I'm not 100% sure what it's called, but uh, set up downtime on your phone and give someone else the code. Now, here's what you're probably saying to yourself is, I can't just give someone else the code. What if I can't have access to my phone? Like, I... I, I won't, you know, be able to get on my phone. And to be frank with you, that's the point. <laughs> you know, you, here's what I'll say to you. If you don't have access to your phone for a day, and that sounds extreme, you will survive. I promise you. It's happened to me before. You'll make it through. You might even be better on the other side. I lock my phone up. I mean, I'm serious about locking my phone up because I don't want it to run my life. There are too many important things to do, too many important objectives to hit. I have to lock my phone up. I only have certain apps that are available always. I, I lock down the other ones on downtime. Uh, my phone shuts down at 9 p.m. and it starts back up at 8 a.m. every single day. And I love that. I love that. On top of that, uh, I get one minute of, of Gmail a day on my phone. I get seven minutes of Instagram on my phone. And uh, it all works if I have a plan. So I only check email on my computer and I only use those seven minutes of Instagram to post things, whether it's for my podcast or for something else. Um, I want to be intentional there. Uh, on top of that, my Wi-Fi shuts off at 9 p.m. for my devices on weekdays. I would recommend that because if your Wi-Fi shuts off, you're much less, less, less tempted uh, to go stream something. Um, on the weekends, it's, it's 10 p.m. for me. But consider setting up downtime on your phone and going through the different apps, figuring out what's necessary, and really putting some limits on yourself. I think you'll see a lot of freedom in that. The third tool to take back your life from your phone is intention versus entertainment. Consider deleting the apps that you don't use from your phone. The more apps you have on your home screen, the more likely you are to use your phone as entertainment. Now, your phone can be used as entertainment, but if you're trying to take your life back, uh, you really want to have as few apps on your phone as possible. Uh, billions are spent each year to make your phone extremely addictive. So what I would recommend is only use your phone or your computer with intention. Go to it with a purpose instead of just defaulting to it for entertainment like so many, including myself, do all the time. You see, when they're spending these billions to make your phone addictive, uh, they're tuning into the dopamine cycle. And what that means is they're using your dopamine and your biochemistry against you to keep you addicted to your phone. Use the desktop versions that are much less addictive. Set a time limit and come to it with a purpose uh, or else your phone will use you. The fourth tool I would say to take your, your life back from your phone is try grayscale. This sounds crazy, but if you go to settings on your iPhone, go to accessibility, display and text size, and then color filters, click grayscale, enable it on your phone, and then go back to accessibility. And at the bottom, click accessibility shortcuts and click for color filters, enable that shortcut. Short, shortcut. And when you click the button on the side of your phone three times, your phone will turn grayscale. 
It's amazing. And what happens is you're much less tempted to look at your phone. It's something about the way our brains uh, process information. They're much more addictive when they're colored. Let's move on to the three practices that will make this this a lifestyle for you. Um, The first practice I would say that would make this a lifestyle, a long-term thing for you, is the philosophy of don't click like. And now what do I mean by that? Uh, We've started to equate clicking the like button for actual relationships. Here's a thought. Once you've put your phone under control, opt for the real thing in relationships. When you're tempted to click like, go ahead and give that person a call. When you're tempted to send a snap, shoot a text message instead. Go above and beyond to do something human with another human. You'll be the exception and you'll build deep relationships. If you'll, Whenever you're cl- tempted to click that like or love button, you instead engage with the person for real. Number two, practice that will help you make this lifestyle. Spend time alone. This is solitude. Spending time away from other people. And here's the deal. That includes your phone. When you're with your phone, you're not really alone. Uh, people are able to access you through it. Uh, Cal Newport tells the story of how solitude literally saved our country. It was during the Civil War, and it had to do with Abraham Lincoln. I would challenge you to look up that story and see what it is. But it saved our country. Literally, solitude and Abraham Lincoln getting alone from other people saved our country. It's an amazing story. Solitude will also save your life as you have time to reflect and improve and lead. And the third practice that will make getting away from your phone a lifestyle is to reclaim leisure. Reclaim leisure. Now, leisure has been cheapened. That's just the truth. Uh, We consider leisure and entertainment, Netflix, phone games, video games. These aren't bad things, but they're they're not the things that bring life to people. If you're going to change the patterns in your life, you've got to replace the old patterns with new and better ones. One of my favorite examples, Nick Offerman, the guy from Parks and Rec. You guys know him. Uh, He's actually a woodworker in real life. He has a whole book on woodworking. It's an amazing hobby that he has, and it brings life to him. Instead of uh, engaging in other things, he challenges people to engage with the real world doing woodworking. Some other things you could try doing, some real leisure, uh, start writing, start a blog, uh, do CrossFit. I know a lot of people are into that. I wish I had the body for that. Uh, or learn a new skill. Uh, you can pick up a hobby or you can even pick up reading. Reading is something I love. Uh, in fact, I have a podcast called Read Out that will teach you what to read and how to get the most out of the books you read. Go to it. Check it out. I would love for you to become a reader with me. The last thing I want to leave you guys with is two challenges, two challenges. You can walk away from this podcast thinking, man, how can I start to control my phone versus having it control me? And the first thing I would recommend is this. The beginner challenge is scripture before your phone. I got this from a guy named Justin Whitme early. I'll tell you about him here in a second, but he's a lawyer and he tries to start every day before he looked at his phone reading scripture. Man, if you read scripture before looking at your phone every day, it will literally change your life. It will change your life in so many great ways. That's how my morning works. I set aside all my technology. And what I do is I go and I get my devotional, I get my Bible, and I go read it and I journal, and then I go look at my phone. Before I do any of that, I try to get in the scripture first. It's changed my life in so many positive ways. That's the beginner challenge, scripture before phone. Just try it out. Now, if you're more advanced and if you feel like you have more control over your phone, I want to take it to the next level. I want to challenge you to do something a little more challenging and uh, see if you can make this a habit in your life. And it's simply this. Turn your phone off for one hour a day. Now, before you, you push back on that, I want to challenge you with a little story. The guy 
who who showed me this habit. His name's Justin Whitmy Early. He's a high-powered lawyer, and uh, he has to be able to be contacted at most parts of the day. It's part of his job. But every day when he gets home, because it's his most crucial hour, he turns off his phone for an hour and he says, you know what, God, I trust that you can handle everything for an hour and that you don't need me. And he gets to invest in his family. He gets to invest in his relationships. And here's the deal. If a high-powered lawyer can do it, so can we. It'll change your life. Two challenges. Scripture before phone and turn your phone off for an hour a day. There are so many positives to Gen Z, but yet there are so many more pitfalls than ever that can take you out. I'm so encouraged by your generation, and I really believe that you guys are going to be the generation to lead us to some incredible, incredible things. But where does growth start for most people in your generation? It starts with your phone. What you do and don't do with your phone will largely determine your relationships and the quality they are, your productivity, how much you get done, your achievement, and the level of success you rise to, and most importantly, most importantly, your walk with God. Imagine a world where your phone didn't run your life, where you didn't need it, where you were engaged and refreshed. You were healthy mentally. You had margin. You were able to bring your best day in and day out and have a deep, satisfying walk with God. That's what's in store for all of you when you take steps to become a digital minimalist. Hey, I just want to thank you guys for tuning into my podcast again. My name is Jake Welchins. I would love for you guys to go to check out the other podcasts we have here. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There's some really great stuff. So go ahead and spend some time just taking it all in. I really enjoyed spending time with you guys, and I'm thankful that you give me a moment of your time. Thanks.